0: I wanna begin this morning with a thought experiment. So, here's the thought experiment. We are new parents, let's say, and uh, in the middle of the night while we're asleep, the baby starts crying in the baby's room. We know that cry. (laughs) Do we pick the baby up and take care of it at that moment, get out of bed, grumbling a little maybe, but go and take care of the baby and try to address what's going on, or do we say to ourselves, well, you know, let the baby cry because it'll learn eventually to go to sleep even in the midst of some discomfort. So that's what the baby needs to learn, let it cry. All right, I bet many of you have been in this situation, and I'm not suggesting that everyone would do exactly the same thing every time. But George Lakoff, who wrote this wonderful book, says that how we answer that question says a lot about how we view life. And it says not only a lot about how we view life and family life, but it says a lot about how we approach everything in our life, including social issues and political life and all that stuff. We are in the midst of a very strange year of politics. I have noticed that. I don't know. Have you noticed that? <laughs> it Seems strange to me and a lot of the strangeness has to do with the election season and as you already know there's one particular candidate who has kind of changed the presidential game and how it's played with his totally unusual mode of campaigning and many people have found that strange and wonder why is it so different and why do certain things work or not work and i just want to say that I am not here this morning to endorse that candidate. It's not my purpose. Although I do want to make a couple comments about him. This is an analytical process. First, let me tell you a story about Mr. Trump, which I think is really interesting. That took place about two or three weeks ago at one of his rallies. He was giving a speech and a baby started crying. Did you see that? Well, two things happened. The first thing that happened was that Mr. Trump said, oh, that's fine, let the baby cry. I love babies. I, it's, it's great, don't worry about it, it's fine. Just let the baby cry, and, you know. And then, I don't know what the interval was, but I think the baby kept crying for about three or four more minutes and finally said, get the baby out of here. I was kidding. Get the baby out of here. So actually, he played both cards, didn't he? The most helpful person that I have found personally in my life in understanding the dynamics of the division in our country is Mr. Lakoff. He's a professor of linguistics at the University of California at Berkeley and he analyzes speech and how speech works and how you convince people of certain things. In his book called Moral Politics, he begins with an analysis of family life. He says, Don't start by trying to figure out politics. You can't do that yet. Start with families. And he claims that there are two major kinds of family models. Okay, there's two kinds. And then when you understand those two models of the family, then you start to understand what's going on socially in our culture. That's his thesis. Don't even start with politics. Just drive us crazy anyway. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about those two models. The first one is called the strict father model of the family. The strict father model of the family. The strict father model starts with the idea that the world is dangerous. It's a a dangerous world. There are a lot of pitfalls out there. And the first duty of the father, and by the way, the father could sometimes be a mother, but in the classic model, it's a father. The first duty of the father is to protect the family from danger. That is the duty that, dare I say, trumps all others. <laughs> the family must be kept safe. If the, if the children are to survive and grow up to be strong, self sufficient people, then they must learn to obey the rules because it is by learning the rules that they will become self-sufficient. And so the duty of the father and or mother, but more father, is to set those rules and to state them clearly, make sure they're understood, and to punish the children if they break the rules. Punishment is the way that the children learn to obey and learn how to navigate the difficult world. They learn these rules that have come from the wisdom of the parents that are being transmitted on, and the principal way they're transmitted is through punishment. Punishment is a moral thing to do because it is teaching the children how to survive, literally, how to survive in the world. And the failure to punish is immoral because it abandons the children just to the the whims of life and does not give them the tools that they need to survive. And so the failure to punish is viewed as immorality. So if the rules are set clearly and if the children learn how to follow the rules, they will become self-disciplined, independent adults at the end of childhood, and once they become adults, the parents should leave them alone. In other words, not try to impose rules after that. Then the, the children have become adults themselves, and they have families, and they reproduce the situation, but the, the adults should not meddle in the children's lives. It shouldn't tell them what to do after that. All right. There's a lot more detail, but we're going we're gonna to move on. And now Lakoff says, here's the, here's the analogy that's going to be made, that the country is like a family. The country is like a family. So if the country is like a family, then the right kind, <laughs> here we are, <laughs> here we are. If the country is like a family, then the right political leader is a strict father. Okay, that would be the conclusion. Uh, The world is full of evil powers and it is only with toughness and strict discipline can the country survive. Without that, it will fall prey to its enemies, which are all about us. We, Need to clarify who the enemies are. In the strict father model, good and evil are real. Good and evil are forces in the world, and you will not be able to conquer evil if you do not identify where it is. You have to identify it and name it. Uh, So we need to say who our enemies are, and we do this partly by naming them. And there's a huge debate going on in our culture right now over the phrase, radical Islamic terrorism, right? And uh, one side is using that word because it says that only by being clear about who our enemies are will we have any chance to defeat them. And Obama, for example, who I'm not endorsing either and who isn't running for any office anyway, doesn't want to use that phrase and he's being taunted about that because he doesn't use the phrase radical Islamic terrorist and his failure to do so is a proof that he is a weak and ineffectual leader. Because he refuses to name the enemy and if you can't name the enemy you can't possibly hope to defeat the enemy. And you have to defeat the enemy because you're Obligation is to keep the people safe. That's the absolute, there are other obligations too, but that's number one. So Obama's failure to use those words proves that he is a weakling. In the struggle of good and evil, one does not try to make friends with one's enemies. That is not a goal. One tries to defeat one's enemies. To try to make friends with them is to be a fool because they're your enemies and they will use that friendship to overthrow you. They will use your weakness and your desire to be friends against you. And so you don't go and negotiate with your enemies. That's not a wise thing to do. It's a dangerous thing to do. And so... That it, it, When we negotiate with enemies, we're really opening ourselves up to, and by the way, I hope when you turn on the news, I hope you see some of these things because they're all over the place. Uh, our present administration is living in a complete fantasy world regarding this business of negotiating with our enemies. It's absurdly stupid to do that. In the strict father model, life is organized hierarchically. So the father is the head. Actually, God is the big head. God is the ultimate strict father. So God sets down the rules, right? And if we follow the rules, we're happy. And we do well. And if we disobey the rules, we're not. It's just as simple as that. So God is over all. Men are uh, over nature. Uh, Men are also over women, although there can be exceptions to that. There can be powerful, strict father women, too, who embrace that system, but they're not, they're not literally fathers. The father and the parents are over the children, so everything is a hierarchy. And one of the alleged benefits of this is that it takes ambiguity out of the system. You know, you know, you know where you are. So you, there's, a, there's a clarity in that. Christians are over non-Christians in the classic form of this. White people are over non-white people. Straight are over gay. Rich are over poor. That's the hierarchy of how it works. And the hierarchy serves to drain the ambiguity out of the system so that it can be clear and you know, what you, you know who you have to obey. And that, that's... It's just like in the service; people know what rank they are, and you have to obey the people who are higher in rank. Everyone who follows the rules and works hard can become wealthy in the strict father family. And if one is if one is wealthy, then it follows that one deserves to be wealthy. Wealth comes about through hard work and following the rules. It's a matter of personal uh, engagement, hard work, and struggle. If one is not wealthy, if one is poor, it is a sign of a moral deficiency. Because if you worked hard, you could get rich. So that's a a Calvinist argument, by the way, back from a few hundred years ago. Uh, So that is the argument. Now... Of course, we care about people who are in poverty or were having some other struggle, but if we try to help them, it will only make it worse. Because if we help people out of their poverty or whatever their disadvantage might be, we are simply postponing the day when they will develop morally and become strong individuals and solve their own problems, which is what we should wish for everyone, in a compassionate way, that everyone could become a strong individual with the right kind of guidance and their problems will be solved. And so it is a horrible mistake to give assistance to people who are, for example, poor. It will prolong their poverty. And even though it might be well-intentioned and all of that, it is the wrong thing to do, and it is always the wrong thing to do. And so if you say, well, let me tell you what this program does. This program gives lunches, no, nope, doesn't matter. It's always wrong, because it undermines the way the universe works. And so it, can't, it doesn't matter what the argument is for that program. And so that's why people who make those arguments never win. Do How many times do you see the liberals making those arguments and the other person says, yeah, you know, now that you say that, I think you're right. <laughs> that argument doesn't win because it violates the model of reality, no matter what the particulars are. By the way, I'm giving you the oversimplified. It's, it's all much more nuanced, but we're, I'm trying to give you the picture. In this world, there are no systemic reasons for social problems. In other words, there's no reason in the system, like, say, for example, discrimination. Those answers are not valid answers because the responsibility is always personal. It's always up to the individual to improve their own situation. All right. There's more, but in a dangerous world, You want your leader to be the strongest, strict father on the planet, the absolute strongest. Even if that involves some ethical deficiencies, it's still what you want because it's a dangerous world and you want your leader to be able to win. And that is, absolutely essential because otherwise you're going to be defeated so you might accept a lot of kind of weird behavior in a leader if that leader demonstrated clearly that he or she was the strongest leader on the planet because that would be our safety I'm going to let you connect the dots losers cannot protect you A loser cannot protect you. For example, our present president is such a loser. He's a nice guy. Everybody likes him, you know. But he can't protect you because he's not a strong leader. And he proves it all the time. Every day. Even John McCain is a loser. John McCain is a loser because he got captured. You don't need a leader who's going to get captured... You need a leader who's not going to get captured. Do you hear me, brothers and sisters? You want a leader who's not going to get captured. You don't want somebody who's going to fall into a POW camp. That's a sign of weakness. You want somebody who wins in every situation. Losers cannot protect you. So even if someone uh, in, say, political discourse were to insult other people and call them names, uh, der- very derogatory names, very insulting names, that could, be good. that could be a good thing because if it shows that that person can win in any situation, then it demonstrates their power to protect us. Okay? So those kind of tactics, while they might not be the most wonderful thing in the world, they can demonstrate the potential to be a strong leader. And so they can be affirmed as just something you need to do sometimes to show who's boss. All right. I could go on on this one for a while, but I've got to switch over. Are you ready for a different point of view? Yes! All right, let us turn our attention into the other basic family model which Lakoff calls the nurturing parent. You can see already, they're a bunch of losers, can't you? <laughs> you can see this isn't gonna work. All right, in the classic uh, family model of a nurturing parent, if there are two parents, they both equally participate, male or female, whatever combination that might be, those parents participate together in the raising of the family. The main idea in the nurturing parent family is to care for, to be cared for and cared about. To have one's needs met in the family and to live as happily as possible within the constraints of the world, and to have a meaningful life that, where the meaning is created from mutual interaction and care. That's the idea of the nurturing parent family. Kids grow up into being responsible adults through being cared for and respected. Obedience comes from developing the children's love and respect for their parents. So the children naturally obey, not all the time of course, but they naturally obey their parents uh, because the parents care for them and respect them and, and treat them with love. It does not come about primarily through fear of punishment in the nurturing parent family. Although it doesn't mean that there never could be any punishment, it's not, pri- it's not primary. Two-way communication is valued and the parents and kids communicate about what is right and wrong. So, It's not just that I told you so, but it's, this is why we should not hit the cat. And we could talk about that, couldn't we? And we could make some, so we could develop some rules about not hitting the cat based on care and respect. The world does have many dangers, and it's the parent's job to help kids avoid them. There are real dangers out there. Crime and war and drugs and all those same things are out there, and they're dangers. But there are other kinds of dangers, too, in the nurturing parent family. Like, for example, going in cars without seatbelts is a danger, too. Or pesticides might be a danger. Or diseases or unscrupulous uh business practices or deceptive people in the world. So these, some of these dangers in the world need to be solved by cooperative action of the whole society and not just by our individual. For example, if we think there are pesticides in the water, it's not, you can't just, one person can't go and do that. You have to be able to act together in cooperation with other people in community to solve some of these problems. Part of being a responsible adult in the nurturing parent family is learning to be sensitive to others and wanting to help those in need. If children are going to become nurturing, they must develop this sense too. They have to have a social conscience. So, empathy is a cornerstone of morality in the nurturing parented family. And another cornerstone is fairness. Fairness is a big word. In the, in the nurturing parent. It's not a big word in the strict father. Fairness is not one of the highest values in the strict father system, but it is in the nurturing parent. And we should be fair to everyone in that system. So everyone has a right to be treated fairly and equally and have an equal opportunity and have access to the things that are needed to have a good life, have an access... To food, for example, and shelter, and education, and medical care, and, and, and equal justice before the law. Everyone should have equal access to those things. All right. If the country is like a family, which is Lakoff's motto, then the nurturing country will be <coughs> compassionate towards its people, respect all its members. It will help those in need. And by the way, the, the nurturing country doesn't say that everyone should be given everything. There's, uh, there's a balance there between individual responsibility and social responsibility. It doesn't mean that everyone just gets a check for $2,000 every Thursday. It, there's a balance there, but it does mean that everyone should have medical care and everyone should have a good education and everyone should have equal rights. Those things are for everyone. The country helps those in need and works to create opportunities for all of the members to be healthy and happy. Leaders of a nurturing country uh, will propose social programs to help everyone be fulfilled, as in Social Security, Medicare, uh, you know, national health insurance. These are public education, uh, welfare programs, all examples of trying to do that so that everyone has a good chance for a good life. The strict family argues that none of this will help people get out of poverty and that it just perpetuates a culture of weakness and dependency. No social welfare program can ever be successful, no matter how much data you have to show. Data does not convince. It might convince a bunch of you Use maybe half of them, Data does not convince. I think you can turn on CNN and see that that's true. The nurturing country tries to make friends with other cultures and see their point of view. See that their point of view has validity. The strict father culture argues that to welcome your enemies into your country is foolish beyond all description. It is just the dumbest thing you could do. Why would you do that? And so you develop ways to keep them out, if at all possible. And you can use pretty strong measures to do that because if you don't your country is in danger of falling apart. Okay, are you happy now? (laughs) I've done sort of an oversimplified picture. Uh, and there are many gradations and combinations. And by the way, if you ever read this book, he analyzes all those gradations, and these are the, where the libertarians are different, and this is where the Green Party is different, and these are where the communists are different, and they, you know, they are gradations of these basic models. And I must say uh, that this year's Republican nominee is really not a classic conservative. Now, all the classic conservatives are mad at him for the most part. So he's not actually a model of a classic conservative, but I do think he is a model of a strict father frame of mind. I do think that's true. Uh, Could there be positive examples of the strict father? Because I... You know, cultural evolution has produced this strict father thing over centuries and centuries and it has been around for, are there positive models of the strict father? I think probably the military has a lot of positive models of the strict father, I I would bet on that. Sometimes there are strict women. You know the classic, um, there are movies made about this plot, the classic tough sergeant who just doesn't give anybody any slack whatsoever, but but when they're done, they all come back and say, "Thanks, Sarge, you you made me into a much stronger person," you know. And the sergeant is doing this because he knows those soldiers need to know these skills to survive in the war. I, I think that's a, that's an example of a positive, strict father. Um, I, maybe, his, certain, I'm sure certain historical figures, maybe Winston Churchill, maybe other people have been these tough, and, and it could be a woman too, you know, maybe Margaret Thatcher is an s- example of a strict mother uh, archetype, so there are a bunch of them. And I want to mention someone I know personally in Peoria who, who runs programs for disadvantaged kids, and that's Carl Cannon. And I've uh, run programs in the schools. And he is a strict father archetype. He plays that role. He's also very loving. And he also makes lots of liberals uncomfortable. Sometimes by playing it that way. So I do think there are positive examples of the strict father model. In wartime, it may be that that model is needed. uh, Especially in military situations. Our present... President Obama is a failed nurturing parent in the eyes of about half of the population of the United States. So those folks, and maybe some of you are some of them, see, just look at the world through different eyes and see him doing, trying to do all this social stuff and it's just not getting any, it's not getting any better because it will never get any better trying to do that stuff. And so you can see how the strict father people see that as a failed proposition. And you can go on certain channels and they will explain why that's true. <laughs> Obama is not only too weak and too nice, but he is too rational. And that will not work either. <laughs> he is too rational. And Lakoff agrees in a way that you cannot always speak to the rational mind, you have to speak to these deep images that we have within. Uh, Interestingly enough, Obama is also sometimes accused of being a dictator, which is an interesting (laughs) possibility. One of the things that Lakoff teaches us is that our politics is not rational, and we should not expect it to be. These political alliances and excitements have to do with images that we carry around in us of how life is supposed to work. And reason will not cut through that. It will sometimes. It's not that we should abandon reason. We should be very modest about what we, how much good we think it will do. It's a good thing. I'm in favor of reason. but We should not think that that's gonna solve it. If you could just say, well look here, here's the, uh, you know the unemployment rate is down. Or but it's just not persuasive. The signals that we get from politicians, when they are good at it, bypasses rational thought and go directly to unconscious models in our brains. And things like repetition affect that too. Uh, nicknames work if they're repeated a few hundred thousand times. It's no use arguing about this. It's who we are as a species. And I will compliment it. No, I won't. I won't say it that way. I will just say that Mr. Trump is a master of this and understands how this works. So just observe that. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm going to tell you where I'm at about who people should vote for. I'm going to quote Ted Cruz, which I will probably never do again in my life. (laughs) And I don't think I ever had before, but he said, vote your conscience. And... I agree with that, I agree with that. Lakoff believes that ultimately the nurturing parent model is uh, preferable to the strict father model. He he does about 400 pages of analysis and he comes to the end he says, I think the nurturing parent model is better. He argues that research supports that, which of course would not persuade any strict family people and that he argues that it's a better form of morality, but you can, make, you can make your own judgment on that. By the way, if you want to read some of Lakoff, Google Lakoff and Trump. Just Google that, not right now, but and there, he's written a wonderful article. Rabbi Michael Lerner explores the religious dimensions of this in a book called The Left Hand of God, where he says the right hand of God is the strong arm of judgment and the left hand of God is love. And he says they're they're both real. He says, but we should always favor God as love. We should always favor God as love. But there may be times in the quest for judgment that we need the strong right arm. There are all kinds of ways to slice and dice these images. As a nurturing parent type of person, I confess it, I want to make friends with everybody, and I want to be friends with the strict family people too. And I've realized that's part of who I am. And I think it's partly because I have a lot of them as relatives. Lots of them. And I bet some of you have both kinds in your families. I'll bet you almost everyone has both kinds. And I want to be in good, loving relationships with both kinds. My father, who died when I was four years old, and who I only knew very briefly I am quite sure was a strict father person. I'm almost 100% sure that he was and I wish I could have known him. So I want to be in that loving relationship with, with everyone, really, if at all possible. It won't always work all the time. I think that the path of humanity bends toward justice and it bends toward compassion and peace and many of us have both of these in our family but I believe that we move towards some kind of a unification. The strict father model of life has been part of our evolutionary journey for thousands of years and it still has a place in our world but ultimately we must all learn to live together and the harsh categorization of others as enemies will not ultimately make us safe, I don't think. We will have to find a way that is inclusive, that respects others, that works for peace. And on the way, many voices will need to be heard. All the voices will need to be heard, including those we disagree with. So, Let us listen carefully to all the voices and as consciously as possible. And then let us follow the clearest voice that we hear, the one that speaks the deepest truth to us and offers us the greatest hope.